0: Good evening, church. Today's scripture is Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Caitlin. Well, Good evening and uh, yeah, good to see you all here. Uh, Good morning or good afternoon for anyone online. Um, My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson and uh, I just want to introduce myself and just um, let you know that I stutter. So which is that there it is an example for you. It'll kind of come in and out as I preach, and I just want to let you know what that is, um, especially as we dive into a series like we're about to dive into, all right? I hope you brought your w- water wings or, you know, whatever it is you use as we uh, as we get into some deep waters together. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I want to kick a couple things off um, as we dive into it together. And so um, let me just kind of set the stage for where we're headed, okay? We usually... Preach through books of the Bible. Um, as was said earlier, as we say every week, we stand when we read God's word because we approach the scriptures with awe and reverence. We believe that the scriptures, um, as we're told in scripture, it, it uh, God testifies about himself and says that... Um, that his word is profitable for every facet of life, for rebuke, for exhortation, for encouragement. Um, We're told elsewhere that though the grass withers, right? We know something about that here. It's perpetually withering in Tucson um, and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. So we always, including throughout the next six weeks, um, come humbly and expectantly before, before God's word. Um, However, from Time to time, like we're doing uh, now, we we pause from walking through a book of the Bible. We've been walking through the book of John, and um, we pause to engage in a in a, a short kind of series that's purposeful, still um, submitted to the scriptures, but um, a, a helpful time for us to to engage some different subjects. So what we're doing, and we're kicking off. Tonight together is we're diving back into a series that we had started in 2020, uh, back before a- any of us knew what 2020 uh, would look like. Um, in fact, our friends here, I see, we went to a New Year's party that was uh, right. What was it? Roaring 20s, yeah, roaring into the 20s, and we didn't know what we were kicking off. But um, so this is where we are. Okay, we're in a series. Let me, um, if you can bring it up there. Thank you, McKinsey. Um, th- this is uh, a series of countercultural convictions, and as you see there, the first three they're kind of crossed out because we have already walked through those. That doesn't mean like we don't believe those <laughs> things anymore, right? But we already walked through those those first three things. We talked about love, Jesus, and the Bible, and that those things are countercultural, and we walked through that. Well, then um, we were going to talk about gender, March fifteenth. Uh, 2020. I worked harder on that sermon than I've worked on any other sermon in my life and have yet to uh, do that sermon. So, right, we didn't know what March 15th, 2020 would look like. So now, a year and a half plus later, we're re engaging in this series. And so we're kicking off tonight with um, how we counter culture. Okay. And then, as you see there, we'll talk about gender next week and then sex and then the vulnerable and then generosity, and then salvation. And um, um, let me let you know about something real quick. So if you can go, Mackenzie, to the slide where we talk, there's an opportunity. Um uh, specifically as we talk about gender. There's something coming up um, on Tuesday, September 21st at Redemption Tempe. Um, we're doing an Inside Redemption live event. So we do um, Inside Redemption is a podcast that we do across Redemption about once a month, and we talk through different things. Um, well, every once in a while, we do a live event. We did that um, a number of months ago where we talked about race and the g- gospel uh pastor marcus was a part of that panel it was hosted at redemption gilbert and um now as we dive into this very important subject of gender um we're hosting an event there live um which is called the body sex and gender identity now it's on a Tuesday evening, so we know that might be hard for a bunch of us to get up to. So, what we're going to do is um, that week we're asking all redemption communities to watch that together and then we'll debrief and we'll talk and stuff in that context in community. There you go, reason number uh, one million to be a part of a redemption community. So, um, okay, that's where we're going to really talk about that and that'll be very helpful. So, again, that sermon is coming up next week, but then that event. Is gonna be on the 21st. So now let's just zoom back out. If you can even put up the slide about the whole, the whole th- thing that we're walking through, this countercultural convictions. As we kick off this series and I engage in this time together, we I lead us into these waters together this evening. We're um we're we added this week how we counterculture. Because we learned over the last year and a half, hope, maybe some of us didn't learn, but hopefully we, we should have learned that um, we don't all mean the same things as each other. That sometimes someone thinks they're saying something and they just assume everyone understands and is on the same page and doesn't, right? Whatever it might be. So even what it means to counter culture. Okay, if we said the phrase, we want to be a counter cultural people, what does that mean? All right. My guess is now, after looking over the, the landscape the last number of months, is there would be a lot of different ideas and, 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 and perspectives on that. So again, as we always do, we want to submit to Scripture, and even with that idea, come and say, God, what do you mean by culture? What does it mean to counter culture? And I want to say out of the gates here that um, I come, as we do every week, um, with a sense of, of fear and, 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 and humility humility before God, we, we understand that, um, I understand that I will likely not, I will certainly not do this perfectly. (laughs) And, um, and, 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 and yet we, we come trusting that for some reason, God chooses to let his strength be known through our weakness. And so with that in mind, I come and we come with a posture of humility and love and awe and reverence for God and also a desire to be clear because we believe that clarity is loving and in our day and age that is increasingly less clear and more and more fearful to say anything that is pointed and definitive and clear. Um, We believe that God actually would have us speak clearly and yet still humbly and lovingly. And so in fact, as I now pray and we, we get into this time together, I even as an example, uh, I want us to pray for, I was talking to someone before this, pray for Afghanistan, for um, for for people, human beings um, involved in everything that has gone on and is going on in Afghanistan there. And again, my I think the the point is probably proven that if I just said we're going to pray for what's going on in Afghanistan, it would probably be a lot of different perspectives on what that means, what that looks like. Are we praying for American troops? Are we praying for civilians there? Are we praying for Christians who are um, uh, Af- Afghani Christians? Are we praying for Muslims? And uh, who are we praying for? The answer is yes. Um, and, and similarly, this last week, uh, we've seen um, a massive subject um, regarding abortion, unplanned pregnancy in Texas, and as we pray for what's going on there, for 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 the conflict, the conversation, the the debates, um, I think even that. Hopefully, there's a sense of discomfort here. <laughs> that's I don't want to be just for fun, just kind of make it uncomfortable because it, that's the reality of the world that we live in. So, in fact, I'm going to ask you again to stand if you're able while we pray, and if you're. If you want, you can even hold your hands like this. The church has historically done this as a posture of recognizing our dependence on God. So as we enter into this series together, let's pray dependently and invite, welcome the Holy Spirit to oversee our time. Lord, we do exactly that. We need you. Thank you that you are perfect. Lord, we recognize that we, like Isaiah said, we are people with unclean lips among a culture, a group of people with unclean lips. Lord, we have gone astray. We have turned away from you. We have made an absolute mess of the world that you have created and called good, very good. So Lord, even now as we enter into this time, there is a sense of, um, of discomfort. And Lord, I pray that you will gently and yet lovingly and decisively lead us into discomfort in order to bring us to hope. Lord, we pray for people in Afghanistan as we pray for the most vulnerable, the most marginalized, specifically women, young women, people of faith in you, Jesus, people of different faiths. Lord, there it is such a complex and broken reality. We pray for everyone involved. Lord Jesus, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do not wait, Lord Jesus. We need you desperately. Lord, in Texas, we pray that your kingdom will come and that your will be done. Lord Jesus, will you sort out the absolute mess we find ourselves in? In your name we pray amen so as you sit let me ask this question um what do you think of with culture what what does it mean for you right I already kind of blew up earlier that it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people what does it mean for you what comes to mind when we say culture how about when we talk about being counter-cultural what comes to mind for you uh, for me, I don't know if it's because of the, the the era that I grew up in or whatever, I think of um, like mod or gothic. Some of you have never even heard the term mod. That's okay. Okay, that's 80s term. G- gothic. Um, you're right. You think of like, oh, rips, ripped jeans, maybe some kind of f- punk rocker, anarchy shirt, you know, something like that. And others might might think actually it's like really, really conservative and that culture is some entity out there that's bad. And that to be counterculture is to remain steadfast and to fight against everything out there. But let me just tell you out of the gates that culture in and of itself is actually more of a neutral term. It's not just something out there or a particular group of people can be painted into it. Let me um, also say that my hope kicking off this sermon series and this sermon specifically, my desire is to be simple and clear. And, and as I've walked through it and prepared, I want to acknowledge and recognize that it is incredibly complex. And so my hope is that God will make clear that he will bring order out of chaos. And um, even this first quote I want to share with you is, is, is thick, all right? So look at it with me as we seek to understand even what we're talking about with culture. Gregory Thompson says this, culture refers to the historically mediated And yet profoundly normative confluence of ideas, institutions, and individuals that frames the conditions for human life. The shape of this particular confluence changes across time and across locale, but culture itself is nonetheless an inescapable constant. Okay, I've kind of maybe simplified it a bit into how individuals and groups of people live and interact in thought, language, actions, and v- values in a particular location throughout all of time and every aspect of life. An even more simple way of defining or explaining culture is this. What people believe in value lived out among them. Okay, that's culture. You have a culture in your home. If you're single and you live with roommates, if, you're, if you work, there's a particular workplace culture and environment, wherever it might be, there's a culture. What you believe, what you value, what you, how you then bring that into each other, how you work it out, there's a culture, a shared culture lived out. So in and of itself, as I said, it's more neutral, but even more pointedly than that, culture is actually God's idea. Right, in order for us to understand where we come from and where we are today, we're gonna walk through this, the story of God, which means this, okay, we're gonna kind of zoom out, like if you picture a, a, a lens, we're zooming out to look at the whole forest in order to understand the trees that we're interacting with today. What does it look like to engage culture, broader culture? as followers of Jesus today in 2021 in Tucson, Arizona in the U S as part of the world in this time, what does it look like? Okay. We zoom out. So the first thing, the first part of the story, the first chapter, if you will, is creation that God created, right? As we read earlier in Genesis chapter one, right? I'll just pick up in verse 27. So God created man In his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them Um, over in chapter two. We see an intimate picture of this God creating with his hands, forming, breathing life and then putting to sleep and taking out of man a rib and then putting flesh on that rib and then presenting in this beautiful poetic picture, presenting the bride to the groom. And and that so God created, and this language is used there of, of image of God, imago Dei, that every human being on the face of the earth throughout the history of the world, is made in God's image. Every single one. That's our identity. That's part of our identity. Image bearer of God. And then we see our purpose in verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. That's a word that we'll talk about in a bit here. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing, right? All things. This has been referred to as the cultural mandate. Okay? This is God saying, I created and now I made you in my image. Now you go and be many creators, God wants his image. He wants to put himself on display through you and me living all of life. Our hobbies, our relationships, our work, right? Everything that we do for it to be a display, a portrayal of who God is and what he's all about. His character, his power, and his work. So again, in a nutshell, our identity and our purpose, image bearer of God, culture makers, And it is good. It is very good. But the story is tragic. Okay, picking up in verse, or in chapter 3, we see what has been referred to as the fall, or the rebellion. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. That's questioning God, because the woman told the serpent what God had told her. You won't surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Where was he? Yeah, underline that. I don't have time to go into all that, but we need... Okay, I'll move on. And he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin loincloths. That's not just to cover their physical nakedness. It's shame entered into the picture. Why did humanity, why did Adam and Eve and every one of us in this room individually and all of us collectively in this room and throughout all of human history. Why do we sin? To be like God. To replace God. God, your way, your story, your plan, to bear your image, to reflect you, to do the, to, to live life the way you uh, call us to live life, that doesn't sound like it's going to be ultimately fulfilling. I'm, I want it my way. I want to do it my way. Now hear me, church. Look at me and the result is absolutely tragic. It's where we find ourselves today. So We're tempted at times to take the easy route and think it's just a spiritual thing and we, it lives in this kind of ethereal realm of, okay, God created us to, to trust him or to walk with him, and then we rebelled and ran away, and on a spiritual level, we're separated and now we need to say some things and do some things and believe some things and feel some things on a spiritual, intellectual level. And then at some point um, when it's all said and done, we'll either go to heaven or to hell based on what we do with this kind of spiritual realm, spiritual decision. And I say that's, that's an, a gross under appreciation of sin and of God. That God is good and what he created to be good, we have marred, we have rebelled, we have, we have smeared, we have broken, that everything has been affected and infected by sin, that there's that song, right, that we sing around Christmas time often, joy to the world, that as, what is it, far as the curse is found, well, how far is it found everything? It's permeated. Our bodies are breaking down. Our cars are breaking down. Relationships are breaking down. Right? Nations are are crumbling and 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 ruling over each other. And, and 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 there is 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 shame and 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 our relationship with ourself is broken. Relationships with each other are broken. Relationships systemically and collectively are broken. It's not the way it should be but God the best words we could ever hope for in Genesis chapter 11. Chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, humanity was about to build themselves a tower physically and metaphorically uh, apart from God once and for all. And so God God confused their language, says, but God, he stepped in and he broke them apart. And then in the next chapter, chapter 12, God focuses in on one man, one family, on Abraham. And he says, through you, I will bless the entire world. You will be my people, Israel, a light to the nations. The entire world will see you and will understand what it's like to live fully and your identity and your purpose as belonging to God. But Israel failed massively. The entire Old Testament is full of that time and time again, that they could not do what they were unable to do. But God philippians chapter 2 but god he took on flesh he entered into our mess into our brokenness okay we see this now read with me in colossians chapter 1 this will help us understand how this part of the story redemption jesus fits into the greater story of god he is the image of the invisible God, that's Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. How many things? All things. What does all things mean in the Greek? All things. It's all things. Jesus fully God let there be light let the oceans come here and stop there so that land and kingdoms and towns and communities and languages and families can 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 be can 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 be cultivated God the one who said and it happened is Jesus and it was all created through him and for him as Abraham, Kuyper says there's not one square inch in the entire cosmos in all of the creation over which God does not declare mine. That's mine. So there's no room for this sacred secular divide for this spiritual and physical realm. There's no room for that in our sinfulness. We have chosen even as followers of Jesus, many of us to operate in that kind of broken cultural norm where what we do on Saturday or Sunday is disconnected from how we run our business on Monday. Oh, that's just good business practice. I make more money if I treat my employees this way or if I talk about particular groups of people this way or if I participate in this kind of staff culture. Um, I make money. I thrive there. And as long as I tithe some of that money, it doesn't really matter. But it does. It all matters. All things are created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself, what? All things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Okay, I had to emphasize the all things there so we understand that Jesus is lordship, that salvation, that faith in Christ is a personal, individual, spiritual matter. It is necessary and you cannot move beyond it. But it's not less than that, it's so much more. Okay, that that, that that God cares about all of His creation, all of His people, and all that His people do. It matters. He cares about it. And so now the next part of the story is where you and I find ourselves: the church. Right? Jesus did all these things. He walked on water. He created this. He said things like this. He, he, he gave all these calls to follow him. And, and, and he said, behold, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand. It's among you. Everyone's like, all right, Jesus, do it. Do your thing. Do your thing. And then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. After he died on the cross and rose from the dead, he peaced out. And his people were left. His people who had Messed up time and time again, who didn't understand what he was saying. He said, you're my plan A. You're the church. Go make disciples. Go, you follow me, Jesus says, and go tell other people how to follow me. And as that happens, it will be the, the Greek word, the ecclesia, the people of God. And that's his plan A. <laughs> It's a mess guys. We're a mess, <laughs> but he's, he's in charge and we're his idea. So now we circle back to that question. Well, what do we do then? How do we engage culture? What does it mean to be countercultural? That's where I want to kind of land our time together is to, is to hunker down in this question of what does it mean? to approach or engage culture. So um, this, that author that I quote, quoted earlier said there are three or four different ways that the church has historically engaged with culture. And we see this in our day, absolutely. So we're gonna walk through them one by one. The four ways, the four approaches the church has taken to engaging culture. The first one is you see fortify the church must protect itself from the threats of the broader culture. All right, this would be um, like maybe Amish or Mennonite, or in some contexts or cases, it would be um, you know basically groups that would say that the culture is bad and dangerous, and culture is out there. And we are something altogether different, and so we need to fortify ourselves. Now, some good things about this approach is this, that people from this um, strand, if you will, take the Bible's warnings seriously. There's in the Old and New Testament when God says, be careful. If you start taking on their practices and doing all their things, eventually you will start to worship their gods. So be careful. Okay, so there is something positive. But a negative is that in this approach of fortification is that we treat the world as enemies. We operate with, we're driven by fear and angst. Oh no, if we get too close, they will contaminate us too much. So keep them far away. A next approach is this, accommodation. The church must be relevant by joining forces with the culture. Um, some historic mainline denominations um, would, I think, would fall into this camp. Um, some really good things, some really good desires in times like the 1960s that said, we need to engage in the brokenness in culture and injustice around us. And yet the conviction or the approach has been the church must be relevant by joining forces with the culture. So relevance is most important there. And something good there is that um, this this approach demonstrates compassion, often aligning with God's heart, things that God cares about. Okay, where, um, where the first group, f- fortification, says, oh, we don't want to align with the worship of other gods. Um, I think this group might be more prone to acknowledge that worshiping other gods is not just uh, naming certain gods and things like that, but that joining in the worship, the idol worship of our day. What if ours, some of them would be consumerism, comfort, power, right? Ease experiences okay the um, more and more stuff popularity affirmation these kinds of things these drive us and and so well fortification might fail to acknowledge our vulnerability to synchronize with those kinds of things and doesn't acknowledge it actually because we're fallen sinful culture creators, we're going to create those kinds of broken cultures in our way. However much we fortify ourselves from everyone out there, we're going to bring it up. We're going to create it in our own homes, right? Because it's coming from our own hearts. But on the flip side, accommodation fails to acknowledge the danger and in turn synchronizes and participates with the idol worship of the day. The drive to be, Uh, relevant, often I think driven also, or at least in part fueled by a desire not to be dismissed or discarded, um, leads to irrelevance. And church, I want to pause here for a moment because um, these, these, these two, this number two, and then when I get to number three in a minute, I think are, we have found ourselves in the last year and a half in the middle of like Tidal waves. And this one, accommodation, I believe our church, Redemption Tucson, at this point, at this time, is most vulnerable to getting swept up in the tidal wave of accommodation. And it looks in our day in the form of deconstruction. Of I, I, I recognize some things that are wrong and broken in the church specifically, and so I'm going to pick it apart like l- l- Winkin' Logs or like the game Jenga and just pick it apart. But as someone said, uh, deconstruction without reconstruction is destruction. Of, uh, eventually you're left with nothing. A- and it's, this is sweeping through and over and has been for the last number of years, the Christian church. And lovingly and to be clear, I believe our church is vulnerable to this. I think our desire to be effective and to be a witness and to celebrate the good in broader culture often leads us to compromise and to perhaps even be undiscerning and blinded to the dangers of of consistently deconstructing where Augustine, St. Augustine, speaking about the church, acknowledged the church is a whore. said, but she's also my mother. The deconstructionist approach just sits back and consistently says the church is a whore and doesn't acknowledge she's also my mother. She also belongs to Jesus. It is also the body over which Jesus is the head. It is the missional plan A of God. And um, this other tidal wave has swept over us and uh, before, but we're still vulnerable to it. Number three is domination. Okay, that word, right? We read it earlier. In the cultural mandate, God said what? Have dominion, cultivate, create, do things, make things. Well, in many ways, Christians, um, I would say maybe ultra-right, you know, coalition far right kind of groups historically um have 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 done things like this where it's like and i think honestly the last year and a half in many contexts we've seen both accommodation and domination show up in force and domination says well forget what jesus said about take take one on the on the cheek and turn the other cheek no he's i god might not know what he's doing he might be losing this culture war so we just need to dominate we need to outvote and out overpower everyone else. And we need to bring in the kingdom of heaven. Um, Jesus has had long enough and he didn't do it at the time or the way that we thought he should. So it's coming. All right. Because I said, I want there to be an element of what is good there. Um, I think there is a positive element of not withdrawing from culture where fortification withdraws and says, oh no, boogeyman out there. There is some element of we're going to engage culture, but it's going to be a fight. But there can be times or places where that's good. Um, but the, obviously the na- negative is ultimately it's unloving. It's, it can be harmful. It can be hostile. It can be violent. So before I get to the fourth way, is, um, is this, I want to I wanna acknowledge. So it's, Timothy Keller wrote a book, that it's called Center Church. And in it, he like really walks through different approaches to culture over the years. And that's where um, I got even some of this stuff that I'm now walking through. And something that he points out that I want to be quick to do as well, because it again goes with that line of humility and of I think dependence on God is this, is that um, there are different seasons That the church or churches find themselves in and he walks through you know winter spring summer fall and then he even breaks it down early winter right late summer whatever it means there might be times where in those different seasons one of these approaches is more appropriate that if you're in a time that would be like a winter all right you're in a persecuted country not persecuted like most of us think we experience or things like that but it is you your your broader culture is forcing you into isolation and into um you can't connect with each other you can't do these things and so you you there is a need to maybe fortify there's maybe a need to 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 push back strongly in different seasons maybe in a summer season where there is more harmony if you will and it might make sense to partner with surrounding culture and to see things and say, we can affirm that. We can celebrate that. We can join in doing that because this is good and this reflects creation and, 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 and this is good. We can do this, but it takes discernment and wisdom and it takes surrender to the Holy Spirit. And it ultimately, I think, um, leads us to this fourth option, which is what we see God doing. It's incarnation. nation. It's entering into culture. It's entering into pain. It's moving into brokenness like Jesus. Again, we see this perfectly exemplified when he comes to the earth. We see him doing what? Taking on flesh, becoming one of us not considering his rights and privileges as the, cre- uh, as the creator of all things as something to just be grasped and held on to, but he humbly enters in, remains fully God and fully man. But then something we say here is that we are called to do the Lord's work the Lord's way. There's what I talked about earlier with domination. How does Jesus do it? Is he angsty? Is he fearful? Is he curled up in a ball? No. He calls out um, Pontius Pilate, the high priest, everyone who comes before him. He, you see this sense of, of absolute courage, stability, clarity, direct, decisive language. Let me, and with everyone. It's not, oh, this group says the right thing, votes the right way, has the right card, wears the right t-shirt, so I'm not going to call them out on their stuff. No, at one point, one of his own followers, Peter, He's talking to him and he's like, oh yeah, Peter, good job. I just, uh, you know, you, you got it. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Then a moment later, Peter tries to call Jesus out on going to the cross. And what does he say to him? Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Calls his own follower, Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Right? He's, he does the same thing. But then you see when he's talking to Pontius Pilate before his death, this sense of fighting with him in order to fight for him. He is winsomely and creatively calling him to faith. So church, as we land here, what does this look like for us? How do we engage culture? How are we a counter-cultural people? I I think it means that we actually do what we were designed to do. We, We live as image bearers, dependent on our Father, our Creator, carrying out the work He's called us to. We create. We create a whole new kind of culture. We don't just easily blend in with any other group of people. We don't say, well, this one's not as bad as that one. Like, think for uh, a minute with me. How pathetic is that? How low of a view of God is that? If we say, well, at least this group isn't like that. Is that our hope in the world that God who created all things, who cares about everything that he made, who came to make all things new, that he's like, well, you're right. As long as the good outweighs the bad. As long as this group's not as bad as that. No like Jesus we stand firmly and faithfully and lovingly and humbly and decisively and courageously and we say if that, if there is 1 ounce of that, that that does not reflect the kingdom of heaven then that is not ours and if there is 1 ounce over here that is not reflecting the kingdom of heaven then I will not align over here hear me church it's not easy Jesus himself in John 15 says this, the world, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Oh, were we not tempted to be of the world? Oh man, my parents are, or like this they I, I don't i don't want them to hate me or their friends or in this group of people so i'm going to kind of slide in over here i don't want to be hated or over here in this group of people i can get a lot of good things done i can partner with all these groups and do all these things and i don't want to be hated jesus promised we will be hated it doesn't mean we go out and look for it but it means we understand that if we are aligned with him the world there are different expressions of the world but it is the same world it's the same kingdom and it's opposed to jesus so if we find ourselves in christ if we align ourselves with him we will be hated as he says in matthew 7 the way is narrow and difficult churches we think about how to counter culture hear me we need to bank on the fact that it's going to be difficult that it's uncomfortable, that we won't fit nicely anywhere, that you're not going to get all the likes that you want and desire. It's not going to happen. Someone who likes you today will unfriend you tomorrow. And it's sad and it's broken, but it's the life that Jesus has called us into. It is not hopeless. One more thing, and then I'll be in my seat. Um, We see a beautiful picture of this today. What does this look like? What does it look like for us to live and be a countercultural people to create new culture, right? Think about it. What cultures are you involved with? What does non-anxious parenting look like? What does it look like to not hate your enemies? What does it look like to pray for the oppressed and the oppressor? Well, what does it look like to lay down your rights rather than clinging to entitlement? What does it look like to have courage that is not driven by fear? One group is called the pro grace m- movement, as we just talked about everything that's going on in Texas and pro life versus pro choice. Um, and I know again, we're in some deep waters here. Um, this is the world that we li- live in. Could you bring your wo your, uh, your life vest, your water wings. Um, the pro-life movement, on, a, on the surface, we would say, absolutely, we are pro-life. We believe 100% in the sanctity of all human life. Imago Dei, knit together in one's mother's womb. Every hair on the head, every day planned, matters. We believe that, Absolutely. It has become a at all costs because these lives matter so much. Anyone in our way, their life does not matter. The pro-choice movement has become this narrative of, well, women's voices have been stifled for so long. It is ultimately their choice, their life, their voice matters ultimately The life in the womb does not, or it does, but not ultimately, not as much. And this group of people, primarily women, started a pro-grace movement that, uh, like Hands of Hope in our our city, which used to be the Crisis Pregnancy Center, they changed their name intentionally to reflect what they're all about. We're about hope. And they use the language, intentional language of unplanned pregnancy. They're positioned in the same parking lot as Planned Parenthood. And they don't just create narratives and literature that says they are the other. They need to be dominated. They need to be just wiped out. No, they're creating a culture that's altogether different, that has space and has a a welcome mat, that their hope and their prayer and their fasting. how How many of us have gone to those levels? Their fasting and prayers on behalf of the unborn says we long for and we desire every person who comes into this parking lot to turn and come into our office and to get an ultrasound and to look at the life that is in their um, womb and to have support and prayer and resources um, until the baby is born and thereafter and to say, we want to come alongside you and we love you and we don't know the circumstances that led to this pregnancy, but you're not alone. And they don't stop there. They also are clear to say, if you decide for all number of different reasons to turn the other way and to go into that other building and to make a decision that we know will be devastating and will not just stay with you in that building. And you walk out and you're wondering, now am I alone? Now is everyone, is the church the last place that I would ever be welcomed? They are there to say no. The good news of Jesus is that he loves you and he sees you and he welcomes you and he invites you to his table. He calls you and me and all of us to repent, to surrender everything. And then in turn, he gives us life. And the end result is hope. Church, this life we're called into, this countercultural life of following Jesus is difficult and painful but it's ultimately good. Jesus has said he is making all things new. We are promised that he who began a good work in us is faithful to bring it to full completion. So with that hope, we follow him and we respond to him together as his people. Heavenly Father, um, we need you. We are so aware of our desperate need for you Lord, I am sure there are things in this sermon that I said, or even ways I said it, that are not perfect. Lord, as we wade into these deep waters of seeking to be a faithful people, walking in a broken world, we cry out to you. Save us, use us, lead us we are yours and we need you thank you for giving us of yourself so fully in your name we pray amen